I am Sarah Hauk, and I am very pleased to have Mike here with me. I don't want to pronounce your last name wrong, <laughs> so I'm going to let you introduce yourself okay. and maybe give us a little bit of a quick rundown on who you are and what you do and sure. your background. Okay, so my name is Mike Palumbo. Uh, <laughs> I am the VP of Engineering for Wattify. Hmm. We're like a startup without all the downsides of a startup. Okay. Uh, but what we do is we create gym management software. And I'm basically, for lack of a better term, in charge of the US and Portugal engineering teams. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. No, that's important. I mean, what would we do without our gym management software? <laughs> no, that's, that is an important part. I was a general manager of a health club, so I fully understand and respect the gym membership Actually, software. it's important we're, um, you know, for the people who actually run those gyms. Yes. So we're in 5,000 gyms in 92 countries, and it's, it's a challenge to keep that all you know, going smoothly. And so what is fun about it? Right? I enjoy the challenges of it. Okay. To me, that's the fun part. When you start to think of a situation like that where you are dealing with a large-scale international clientele, you have numerous challenges from a scalability perspective from a perspective of keeping the infrastructure up and running, from ensuring that you, know, you don't have unexpected downtime when you do have downtime. It's at a time that actually works for all of your customers. Right. For example, we try to find a time that works best that 70% of our customers are here in the US. So obviously we want to do something at say two, three o'clock in the morning Eastern, right? right? To make sure that we're not impacting the US market. Well, that's middle of the afternoon in Australia. So there's not really a good time. Yeah. There's, there's just never a good time. So there's there's just a lot of challenges there, not to mention the fact that we have language challenges and currency challenges. We have people in, in Dubai and Saudi Arabia and Russia. And it does create some, some interesting challenges to make things that work well across all of those markets. Right. While also dodging at the same time some geopolitical minefields as mm. well. We had a recent True. issue come up with regards to uh, transgender athletes. Okay. So one of the things that our software does is it will display leaderboards in the gyms. And usually the leaderboards are ranked male and female. Okay. And then basically we realized, you know, both for just being on the right side of history, but also in terms of legality and complying with various laws that are passing throughout numerous states, we had to ensure that we were inclusive of the transgender community. Definitely. And it becomes a, an interesting challenge of how do we best represent that and what do we do with regards to making sweeping changes to software that's going to be used in areas where being transgender is literally illegal. Oh my goodness, that's true. Yes. Wow. Or, or even if it's not illegal, unwelcome. So even just here, focusing just on the United States market, we might go and implement such a change for California, which passed a law basically dictating that. And then we'll have people in Texas or Missouri reaching out to us saying, I don't want this turned on in my gym. Why are you, quote unquote, forcing this on me type mm. of situation? That's just one of a myriad number of yeah. challenges that yeah. comes up in, in dealing with kind of large scale, uh, even just domestic US, but global audience. It definitely keeps me busy. Yes. I'll say that. <laughs> I would imagine so because all those great examples that you've listed for us are pretty dynamic, multi-layered, and 
can affect each other and there's a lot of moving parts going on yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Not everybody always associates coding or the logic, software engineering with creativity. Correct. However, the reality is very different in real life and in real time with what you're having to do. Clearly with these challenges that you've mentioned, you're jumping headlong into unknown territory and having to come up with really novel, original ideas to tackle these. Yeah, absolutely. Generally speaking, when people think of creativity, and even I would say in my own office, uh, we tend to think of the design and product teams. So we think of the people who are physically doing the UI UX, the people who are actually putting together the screen layouts and the various graphics right. and things like that. Right. We have phenomenal illustrators who do all these beautiful illustrations and feature designs and all these things. And when you think of creativity, you mostly think of that. But there is a certain degree of creativity and nuance with regards to actually writing the software that makes it all go. We do run into situations where, for various technical reasons, what should be a very straightforward implementation or mm -hmm. a very straightforward path for code becomes very not so straightforward. We literally have to work around a variety of things. We either won't be able to do this because of national restrictions in a given zone or we software patents. Oh, um, yeah. So we literally have to work around fundamental mathematics sometimes mm. due, to, due to some patent law. There is a, a certainly a degree of creativity there. There's all sorts of architectural decisions and design patterns that come into play in order to make things more robust or make things load faster. Yeah. Even something as simple as just ensuring that when you go to a screen, it is loading as quickly as possible. And sometimes, depending on the amount of data that we're dealing with, that's actually a significant challenge. And you do have to get creative to kind of get around those roadblocks. As technical and dorky as that sounds, there is creativity that goes into it yeah. uh, in order to, to get to those solutions. That's something that a lot of us take for granted a page loading in front of us, but that's a relatively new advancement. And it's something that has a lot of factors. I worked at two different software development firms, so I know a little <laughs> bit. I've heard a lot of the complaints. I've seen uh, the developers down in the pit together trying to bust through a really heavy issue with things being down and clients needing their pages up and it's heated and it can be crazy. The workplace culture can be pretty stressful. Oh, okay. you're 100% you're <laughs> correct. It's funny that you said down in the pit because that's literally what we call it as a developer pit. <laughs> right. That's a very common term for the pool of developers all putting their heads together. Where I work, we have a, a, a very bright, open, the former converted warehouse. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's similar to the setting we find ourselves in right now. Floor to ceiling windows, uh, very tall ceilings, lots of natural light. It's kind of the exact opposite of what you would expect for an area where engineers are working. Okay. Uh, most engineers tend to be like, put me in a closet somewhere <laughs> and leave me alone and I'll be fine. So we have kind of the exact opposite, but nevertheless, our behavior is exactly the same. When there's a problem, we all get together and put our heads together and see if we can't solve what's going on. And sometimes it's really tricky to figure out exactly what the issue is and the best way to approach it. That's the kind of stuff to an engineering team that 
that's creativity to them. That's what gets their juices flowing. Once I put the meetings on their calendar, you could actually see their, their eyes light up and they're like, we're getting to fix the performance data. And they ear to ear smile. The day-to-day -day stuff you do, there's, there's challenges in that, but sometimes it's a bit mundane. What's the word I want to use here? Uh, I'll say humdrum, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you start to get into those types of quote-unquote special projects, mm -hmm. the things that really require you know a lot of thought, that's where you start to really see engineers perk up. And that kind of goes towards the idea of innovation and creativity. In those situations where you get to do something, you know, out of the ordinary, something novel, you you get that little pick-me-up, you get that little surge, and it's important to have that in whatever workplace you're in, whether it's a hospital, a software development team. I think the other part of that is your team as well, and the other people that you're around, and kind of the mentality that can be fostered. And I know that you've worked at other locations as well. Mm -hmm. I know that not every place is always the same, especially when there's factors like size and being a software developer at Google or you know Facebook or oh, a very large-scale place is going to be very different than a startup or, or a mid-range company. So you have different challenges at different sizes. Have you always kind of worked in this same size of a company or have you no. experienced other sizes? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the last couple of jobs that I've held have been in smaller companies because of the lessons I learned earlier in my career when I was at very large companies. Mm. So I've worked in pharmaceutical firms, I've worked in insurance companies, I've worked in places that have literally over a thousand developers. Wow. And across, you know, multiple lines of business, multiple teams. I learned pretty early on in my career that I actually did not I didn't do well in those places. I didn't enjoy the work that we were doing to some extent, but I also didn't like the the culture and the way that it was very almost uh, meat marketing to some extent. Okay. You know what I mean? There's a hundred of you on this one particular division. There's you know ten people who would take your seat in a second. Mm. You know, and the idea of having an open environment that fosters discussion or creativity. That's a one-way ticket to HR. Right. <laughs> That's just okay. not something that happens. Okay. I've worked in uh, shops as small as six people. I've worked in companies that were 10,000 plus. Mm -hmm. As a result, you get significant challenges on each end of that, right? Mm -hmm. At the large end, uh, you get very significant challenges with regards to stifling corporate culture, how to actually appropriately manage teams that are so large or projects that are these multi-year type of situations, right. numerous levels of project management and, and the necessary bureaucracy that goes along with all that, several tiers of middle management. Uh, I mean, if you've ever seen Office Space, for example, uh, the, the quintessential movie. movie of software development, uh, Mike Judge used to work as a software developer as well. It's very, okay. very clear watching the movie that he worked for a large company and had a fairly traumatic experience <laughs> in, in doing so. Yes, but that's very pretty much de facto experience for some of these larger places. And then you get down to very, very small shops, literally a, a, you know, a dozen or fewer, and you get interesting situations there where if you have a personality conflict or a conflict of design or something like that, if people are not willing to take a step back and say, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't think that's going to work and here's why and present it that way, right. it's very easy, especially among the engineer sect, to start 
developing resentment or uh, fostering anger between people. And when yeah. you're in such a small company, you can't avoid those other people. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take a detour by the cafeteria <laughs> to avoid, no. you know, Dennis's desk or something like that. It's literally you are sitting shoulder to shoulder with those people day in, day out. And if you start to have those fundamental disagreements that you can't resolve like adults, and that's a really common thing. So as a result, it can be extraordinarily challenging. You think that the small companies would be easier and in many ways they're harder right for just that reason it's easier in a big company to just tune someone out that you don't particularly like and you can put a wall up between those interpersonal relationships but in a small company you can't no point being that even just from that standpoint the experience of being a developer will vary wildly from yes. business to business it does so your vp of engineering and that you've moved up the scale a little bit and you've seemingly found your happy medium between the, the small and the large. Yes. You know, you mentioned you have a pretty decent culture of diversity mm -hmm. and you guys try to incorporate meetings where there's creativity happening. You've even actually said some of the creative things you're doing lately as well, which is a treat for us to hear a little bit about that. Um, <laughs> You're being generous. Well, I, don't know, I don't know if it's a treat, dear listeners, but uh, you know, I'm giving you a little bit of nerd insight, so it's, sure. It's sure. a let's, good thing. Let's go with treat. Let's okay. say that. We'll just go with that. What do you think are your creative strengths? That one's hard to answer because of the fact that it varies so wildly depending on what I'm working on. But mm. at the same time, I do think there's a core answer there, and the core answer would probably be my ability to problem solve. Okay. And that sounds diametrically opposed to the question that you asked, but I don't think it actually is. I think that for someone who's in engineering, being able to be a good problem solver is at the fundamental core of being able to be creative. And if you can't think outside of the box and come up with a novel solution that actually works well for the problem that you're dealing with, you're going to wind up with a solution that ultimately is the wrong one right and is not going to it's going to be a short-term patch or a band-aid and it's not going to be long-term healthy and you're going to wind up having to constantly do refactors and revisit it and eventually if you aren't creative with your your problem solving someone else who is is going to come along and basically wind up fixing it being able to think critically and problem solve critically can get you out of that corner before you get into it you know, I'll, I'll give myself the rare compliment. I would say that's one of the, the key skill sets that I do have that yeah. people have valued in me as a trustworthy colleague and employee over the years is my ability to approach those things in that very particular way that results in a better long-term solution. That leads me to, you know, one of my final questions here, but it's an important one. You are the vice president for engineering. So you're in a leadership role, you yes. are in a supervisory role. You know, with that comes a more responsibility, more accountability, clearly more creativity in yeah. you know, deciphering these solutions. I mean, is that a is that a new role for you being in a supervisory role or if it's not, what at this location do you bring to the table in that role? Yeah, so it's it's not the first time I've been in a supervisory role. It's the first time I've been in a particular VP of engineering role. Okay. Uh, so I have served as director of development and a few other similar types of okay. titles at other shops, being in charge of you know engineering teams and things like that. But at my current place, 
VP of engineering is, is a, a very different role because of the fact that, but it's still a much more uh, hands-on kind of like in the weeds I see. position. So sometimes uh, it will be, you know, as bureaucratic as it sounds mm -hmm. in terms of lots of meetings, lots of, you know, focusing on, on hiring and bringing new people on board and taking care of one-on-ones and paperwork and all that kind right. of stuff. And then other times it's literally, I'm going to sit down and do peer reviews and help people write code and, you know, think through architectural problems. And that's, it's all kind of a mixed bag. Okay. So they found a, a need. When they brought me on, they needed both uh, really a VP of engineering and a CTO. Okay. And we originally talked about it and they had talked about bringing me on as a CTO role. I took a step back and I actually pushed back on that. And I said, if you're trying to bring someone on for CTO or, you know, depending on how they want to position the title head of engineering, for example, okay, they probably want someone in that role who has a great deal of experience with mergers and acquisitions, leading people through a large scale. If we were to, to buy another company and then integrating their technology stack or something like that. Right. When you get into those levels, you tend to get an overlap with people who have done MBAs and things like that. So I more see. of the business end and less of the architectural end. Mm -hmm. And so I actually pushed back on them and I said, I think that you do need someone to fill that role, but I think you also need a VP of engineering, you know, be a, a liaison between that and the rest of the engineering team. And I think that ultimately it would be a disservice you know, to you and to myself mm -hmm. to put me in that other position and then I'm not able to effectively handle those those questions or right. those situations. It was that translation layer that didn't yeah. exist before. Yeah. And so without, on both sides, right? Without being effectively able to, to translate what the business actually wants to the engineering team, you're building things that don't logically make sense or don't work in the marketplace. Right. And the, from the other perspective, if you don't have someone who can liaise to the engineers and say, hey, that doesn't actually make sense the way you're approaching it. You can't in turn relay that effectively back to the business and say with confidence that we're gonna have this feature done, you can promise it to our customers and it will be ready at that time. Yeah, right? that's brilliant that you found such an amazing role. I mean, we referenced the cult classic office space and it's, it's a very famous scene when they're interviewing people and asking them, what do you actually do here? Yeah. And there's clearly one character that says, you know, uh, I talk to the engineers so that the, now I'm butchering it. I know exactly what, you know what you're I'm referring talking about? to. He's like, I'm good with people. I'm a people person, <laughs> damn it. As he proceeds to start yelling at them and yes. basically yes. gets himself fired. Basically yes. saying, I talk to the engineers so that the clients and management doesn't have to talk to the engineers. And then... I say what the clients and the management says and get that over to the engineers. But truly, that's a movie and that's Hollywood, but uh, there is some essence to that yeah. that you're getting to live because you, you really extrapolate this information and yeah, absolutely. Um, you know iterate it and, and take it and run with it and get everybody on the same page, which I would argue is the essence of creativity it takes a very creative 
multi-talented person, a multifaceted person to be able to do all of those things. Oh, I thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> no, it's it's Thank tr- you, genuinely. <laughs> it's truly something that not everybody can do really well if they can do it. I really appreciate that example because you did lay out for anyone who's listening a lot of different parts to to what the process is with yeah. with what you're doing in software development. I mean, that's there's all these moving parts to businesses, period. I mean, the technical aspects, the communication aspect. Going in, I mean, I heard you say you kind of did the ethnographer's role in researching this. I mean, you're even doing, you know, some anthropology there. Yeah, there was there was definitely a little bit of sociology going on with yeah. regards to that. Yeah. It, it's interesting after years and years in the industry that basically what I found out about myself is that I could walk into a given dev shop or something like that and within you know a couple hours figure out who are the people who are good performers and who are the people who need to go type of situation that's the reality for a lot of different situations and that is where the essence of creativity comes into play too I mean you have to approach these challenges with a really open mindset and look at the big picture just like you said I wanted to kind of wrap things up I really appreciate all the time that you've given me but before I let you go I did want to just throw out there uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add about creativity or the workplace or your experience with it or anything that we haven't covered that you might want to just touch on before sure there there's one thing that certainly what I've noticed and I think this is it's either it's either rare among engineers or it's just not always talked about among engineers. One of the thing I would say is that I find that going into an office that is actually thoughtfully laid out, thoughtfully designed, pleasant to be in, actually has a substantial impact on my creativity and my ability to deliver mm. and my general overall mood. And I think that a lot of engineers, I, I mentioned before, I'd alluded to the idea of like the you know put me in a closet. The whole kind of you know dark pit that you, you typically associate with engineers. I mean, yeah. I've literally worked with guys who are like, I, I want to be in a in a dark room. I don't want any noise. I want the overhead lights off. You know, all of that kind of situation. To me, I find those particular settings to to be ultimately a little bit depressing or mood killers on my overall creativity. Right. And one of the things I like so much about my current place. And I didn't realize it until after I started working there. I used to work at a small startup out in uh, the Philly suburbs. And it was a, a six-person shop. And, you know, it wasn't a, a huge office because there was only six of us. But it was a bright, very spacious office that had a lot of, of windows, uh, a lot of, you know, good natural light, mm-hmm. things like that. And it always made me happy to walk in there. Every time I'd walk in, I would, I would kind of like a nice deep breath and I felt invigorated to yeah, start yeah, start my definitely. day and when I worked at other places that were you know dark low ceilings you know that kind of thing I realized that over time it started kind of sucking some energy out of me mm. and I didn't really put two and two together until I actually wound up at my current job and I realized that I started feeling there the same way I used to feel at that previous job okay and it was interesting to come to that realization to be like at first I thought it was similarities among the staff 
as a people. I thought it was actually that type of situation. And then I realized later on, it was actually the physical environment that was driving that. What I would say, and, and I would say this to, you know, to any engineer type who's listening, you know, invest in yourself and the physical space in which you work. Uh, you know, clean the space up, give, give yourself some, you know, some light and some, you know, clean workspace. Don't just fill your area with books and loose papers and all that kind of stuff. Like, have a tidy area that has some, some space in it. I mean, we haven't covered that topic uh, in depth. I mean, as you said, you mentioned it, but that's a really good point to, to lay out there. And I have a little experience with software developers as well, and I've noticed that is a trend, kind of the dark, the hiding away, mm -hmm. uh, the fluorescent lights, all those really unfun things that frankly don't always spark creativity and don't balance things out as much as they could and there is data to prove it yes there absolutely. is a lot you can google it and find a lot one of uh, my favorite books from 2014 the best places to work has an entire chapter devoted to this exact topic higher ceilings more windows it yeah. opens things up it really is something to consider if you haven't tried working under those conditions absolutely yeah no that's a great point to bring up i mean you, you you have to give some consideration to how things make you feel, even if you don't really love feelings. Empathy and vulnerability and how you feel when you're working is very important. And a huge part of creativity, a huge part of leadership, a huge part of creativity while being a leader, even if you aren't you know, an impactful supervisor or anything of that nature, those are important points for leading your own person. You need to do right by yourself. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Thank you for bringing that topic up. And I guess I think that's where we'll go ahead and close out. I appreciate your time, Mike. It was a pleasure having you come talk to me for my graduate school podcast here. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it, sir. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I hope I did an effective NPR voice. Oh, we, you did great. You did great. <laughs>